Welcome to In Gear with the Shop. I'm your host, AJ Hecht. For this month's episode, we're joined by Winslow Bent, founder of Legacy Classic Trucks. Legacy is a full-service auto restoration facility located just outside of Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Founded in 2008, Legacy offers custom work and turnkey resto mods, specializing in rare and special trucks like the Dodge Power Wagon and Chevy Napco. But before we get to our conversation with Winslow, let's first hear from Dan Kahn, founder and president of this month's sponsor, Kahn Media. I'm here with Dan Kahn, founder and president of Kahn Media. Kahn Media is a digital marketing advertising agency that services the automotive aftermarket. So Dan, could you uh, kind of explain what digital marketing is for some of our listeners? It's kind of a broad term. So if you could kind of narrow it down for us a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Jay. You know, what's interesting about digital marketing is it is kind of a catch-all phrase. But what we use that term for is really to describe any way that we can connect a brand with their desired customer uh, digitally. So sometimes that means paid search. Sometimes that means uh, paid social, uh, inserting those posts in your feed that maybe you don't know why they got there, but they seem like weirdly connected to what you're interested in. Uh, it could even mean something like Amazon marketing services or Google shopping or Facebook shopping, uh, or even if a local search, getting things popping up on Google Maps where your shop shows up when someone's looking for a hot rod shop or a car builder. Uh, all of those sort of paid digital avenues are what we define as digital marketing on top of video production and content creation and all the other stuff. Okay. And so you work with a lot of brands, I know, um, both on the manufacturing side and uh, closer to the builder shop side. Um, can you explain a little bit about how uh, shops can utilize digital marketing in their own business ventures? Absolutely. Since our inception 13 years ago, we've been really fortunate uh, and very intentional about the fact that we want to work with companies on both sides of the spectrum. We work with uh, OEM car manufacturers. We work with a lot of aftermarket manufacturing brands, you know, Center Force and Hellwig Products and, and all these different kind of great companies, you know, Aeromotive Fuel Systems, uh, Nitto Tires, really, really great brands. But we also work with shops and always have since our inception from the Ring Brothers, who we've been with over a decade to companies like Speedcore. And the reason why we like to do that is because it keeps us connected to the consumer at the grassroots level. And even though the strategies are really different when you're marketing a product from a product manufacturer uh, to a consumer at a large scale versus a builder or a shop, where sometimes you're talking to a national audience or an international audience, but sometimes you're talking to a very local audience where your local customer might just need some, some custom work done or a car build or even some maintenance work done. And, and so the actual tactics that we take are different, but the sort of high level strategy is very similar, which is basically we take a really hard look at the brand itself. What do they offer that nobody else can, whether it's a really different type of product or really high level service, or maybe like in the case of shops, sometimes they have really, really good transparency with how they bill and how they build and sort of allow the customer to be part of that decision-making process, whatever it is that makes them special. We really focus in on that. And then we look at who their desired customer is and where they live and what they're interested in and what they're kind of looking at online. And then we create a strategy that connects the brand with their desired customer. That way you're not just sort of praying for something to come over to transom into the boat. You're actually involved in the process of targeting the right customer so that you can grow your business the way you want to grow it. Well, that was some great information, Dan, again, founder and president of Con Media. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Really appreciate your time. Thank you, AJ. 
Now it's time to get in gear with Winslow Bent. Well, first of all, Winslow, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Really excited to have you on. Just to get started, can you talk a little bit about the origins of legacy classic trucks and how you got into truck restoration and I guess just car restoration at large? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, it's, uh, it is sort of a bigger question. Um, I was born and raised in Chicago, Illinois, and my father had a, uh, a stainless steel fabrication plant. Um, and so I grew up around large machinery and machinery being built and on the weekends, uh, my dad liked to restore world war II army trucks. The old man was definitely, uh, or is, uh, definitely like a, uh, a purist. So, mm-hmm. um, one of the things that the legacy classic trucks is really well known for is not only their, uh, original restorations, but the resto mod stuff, uh, where, you know, you take an old truck, new motor, new powertrain, you got something that's, you know, a lot more usable by today's standards. So, uh, while I'm known for that, my, my dad and I is pretty funny, our relationship, because he's always like, oh, that's not original. That's so lame. Blah, blah, blah. I can't believe you do that. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, but yours only goes like 32 miles an hour. So uh, we have lots of fun back and forth uh, on that kind of stuff. But it's a yeah. it's a family deal. Um, my dad was super into military stuff. Um, I didn't, you know, I, I enjoy and appreciate and know a lot about it. But really, some of the civilian trucks, uh, particularly post World War II, mm-hmm. um, where there's just this, this, it was this great time of expansion in the United States. So all of a sudden there's all of these demands for new power lines, new telephone lines, you know, mines and forestry and, you know, resorts going up and new communities being built. And there's just growth, growth, growth. And all of this stuff was happening on the back of these trucks. And, um, these things like, I've always said trucks are problem solvers. And so you get your truck, you've got some job to go do and you know, you want to get through it as quickly as possible or as reliably as possible. And what I found was not only are the trucks post-World War II trucks are, are so cool, but um, a lot of times the owners have come in and modified those vehicles Mm -hmm. and some of the modifications that the old timers came up with were just hilarious. I mean, I think it was a couple of months ago, I was um, taking apart an old Dodge Power Wagon, mm-hmm. and I noticed on the windshield, it had like windshield squirters. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. well, that's weird. Those things never never came with those in 1946. <laughs> um, and so I'm looking at it, and I'm like, I go inside the car, and I look under the dash, and I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, there's some hoses that go to the squirters. <laughs> and lo and behold, there's like a mason jar with cookie paste <laughs> stuffed in it. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. Are you serious? And I was like, yeah. You squeeze the turkey baster and it fires liquid up onto your windshield to clean it. And I was like, I don't know who this guy was, but I love him. I love that, him. I want to be like him. <laughs> that's ingenious. So, I am very impressed with that. Yeah, it's not just the, the trucks themselves, but some of the guys that <laughs> operated these things were just kooks, man. And um, so it's really fun when you get an old truck the first thing i think that that your listeners want to do when they get around an old truck is go what was this used for like Mm -hmm. what what stories can this thing tell me because it's probably been up to something really cool 
Mm-hmm. And so that just kind of exploration of a truck that you found, you know, maybe it's out in the field or, you know, something that was abandoned or whatever. And you just, you, you start this, this exploration of mm-hmm. not only what was a, say a, a, a Studebaker truck, what was a Studebaker truck, but what was this Studebaker truck? How is this particular one used? Legacy classic trucks is a kind of a natural extension of things that I was doing already and mm-hmm. things that I grew up around. And, you know, basically when, when you go back, um, my business came out uh, in 2008, but when mm-hmm. you go back and you start looking at, um, you know, what was going on in the market at that time in the early 2000s, and um, basically when you go to a car show, you would see the Porsches and the Mercedes and the Ferraris and all these things lined up. And then if they even had trucks at your local car show, mm-hmm. they were always kind of put off to the side and some like some other parking lot. And then you go over and you'd see the trucks and talk to the truck guys. And while they were all pretty interesting and salty, a lot of the times the workmanship wasn't very good. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, why is there a double standard? Like, well, just because this is an old 3,100 Chevy pickup truck that mm-hmm. it's not worthy of the same, the same work. It's, it's, you know, people, there was just this attitude, like it's just a truck and people like, Jonathan Ward from Icon, uh, you know, people started kind of looking at this stuff and going, oh, no, there's a lot more here. Mm -hmm. There is a lot more here. You know, um, historically, there's a lot more that that we can do as far as modifications, aftermarket, you know, getting creative with these trucks. Um, And so people like myself, Jonathan, we just realized like, okay. And then each of us got to, I don't know, become kind of a big fish in a small pond, maybe. (laughs) So like I'm the... 1920 through 1970 American truck guy. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it just baffles me. It's like, it sounds like such a hyper specialization, but it's really not. There's a lot of things to keep track of and just that, and to yeah. call yourself an expert in that area. Um, there is, yeah, there is a lot going on. There are a lot to keep track of. So 20 years ago, you go to the car show, and the, she- uh, the Chevy pickup sitting there and the paint's messed up. And you're like, ah, you know, why'd you paint it that way? Well, it's just a truck. So <laughs> my idea was, why don't we do concourse level work mm-hmm. to trucks? Yeah. And people were like, you're nuts. <laughs> and so in 2008, I, I waddled down to my local bank and I got a loan for about 150 grand. Okay. And I got an old power wagon and I built my first one in my garage at home uh, during 2008. So I had been, I had a job at a restaurant, was running a restaurant. I got laid off from my job in 2008. And if you remember the world was ending, you know, that was it. (laughs) And so I felt a pretty good level of confidence coming out of 2008. So into nine, 10, 11, that, People were interested in my business and we were in a bad market. Yeah. And I thought, wow, if I can weather this, when we're in a good market, this, this is going to be, this is going to be dynamite. Yeah, um, absolutely. So yeah. It, anyhow, the to really boil it down. The idea is quite simple. Let's do concourse work like you would on this car. Uh, what's, I mean, is that kind of address mm-hmm. that issue for you guys? Is it? Yeah. Uh, so the, the power wagon. So yes, I do. 
I do restoration, like one-off kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but we also offer some, let's call them products. And mm -hmm. basically the, the, the product is something that I have developed. So mm -hmm. rather than, let's see, I have a project I'm doing now, a, um, a Jeep Scrambler mm -hmm. for, for a woman. And that's, that's one of the vehicles that we offer as like a, a turnkey build. Mm -hmm. And so say... I sat down uh, and said, okay, I want to really design a Jeep Scrambler and I'm, but really get into it. Like, let's do some, let's do a little bit of CAD work. Let's figure out the weight on each corner and mm -hmm. how we're going to do engine position. And that if I know I'm going to build 50 of these cars, mm -hmm. I can spend a hundred thousand dollars setting up the suspension on the first one. Yeah where I couldn't do that if it was just a one-off. Mm -hmm. So I feel like uh, what I have done as a, as a builder is just select two or three trucks. So the Chevy Napco. So we offer 1955 through 1959 Chevy four-wheel drive pickup trucks. Mm -hmm. We offer Dodge Power Wagons and... That's 1946 through 1968. Mm -hmm. uh, and we offer those as two doors, as extended cabs, as four door trucks. Mm -hmm. um, but again, it's a, it's a product. And yeah. what, I, what I mean by that is that this is really well thought out. Like mm -hmm. I, have, I have built one for myself. I have tested it all out. Mm -hmm. I've made any adjustments to suspension or cooling system or transmission or whatever. I can just be so much more picky if I know I'm going to build a hundred of these things. And if I'm just mm -hmm. building one, so everyone really kind of benefits from those, those economies of scale. Yeah. And how did you get to the point where you were able to not only make that investment, but mm -hmm. had a customer base that, that was seeking out these vehicles? So... <sighs> It's really funny. I look back now at the beginning of the business and mm. it's like, it feels like the wild west, you know, it's <laughs> like, the, the heck was I doing? What was I thinking? Like, I, yeah. I mean, I, I kind of look back on it now and it's like, it appears as though I was just convinced that this was a problem. This thing when you go to the car show. So mm. I'm like, I'm seeing this as a huge problem and I'm the guy that's going to solve this problem. <laughs> so I'm going to, you know, yeah, I'm going to car shows. I'm seeing these, these trucks are like these second class citizens. I'm like, all right, mm. we're going to treat these things the right way. Um, to answer your question, I guess I had a lot of interest in the Dodge power wagon. Mm -hmm. um, I felt like when I drove it down the street, like everyone looked at me, mm -hmm. um, not, not just car people, but like, you know, women and children and guys and just yeah. everyone from all different walks of life all seem to like this thing, whether it was a contractor or a billionaire, these mm -hmm. the people seem to resonate towards these trucks. And so that gave me the kind of confidence that I felt like I could go to the bank and borrow some money mm -hmm. and start building a few of these on spec, mm -hmm. um, which we no longer do. But at the beginning, you know, I had this concept, which was going to be this, you know, the greatest truck ever made. <laughs> and, um, and I was going to, you know, go set the world on fire. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it was, it was risky. I mean, I had a hunch that people were really going to like these things. Mm -hmm. I had sold maybe one or two 
And at that point, I was like, these are so good. I just, I just feel like this is, this is going to work. And I, mm-hmm. and I went for it. So I, ultimately at some point I did have to take some risk and mm-hmm. say, I'm, I'm not in the restaurant business anymore, <laughs> tinkering on cars on the weekend for fun. Yeah. Um, I am now a full-time restoration guy. I'm opening a shop. Yes. I'll do some, some, some custom work. Yes. I've got some people that I know in the community that probably will want to order things. So mm-hmm. maybe I can have a couple of paying jobs in here day one um, and just started small and intentionally mm-hmm. um, and, you know, tried to be risk adverse and just take small calculated steps as we went along. Um, and, you know, I'll tell you what, it, um, looking back on the beginnings of this thing, Boy, going to the SEMA show was a game changer for me. Okay. In, um, in what way? Well, in that I, it was pretty funny. Someone said, you know, you should go to the SEMA show. And this is, again, this is 2008 or something. And I'm like, yeah, what's that? It's like, well, it's a big car <laughs> show in Las Vegas. So, okay. So I didn't know any better. So I just got myself a, I got myself a booth and I put one of okay. my power wagons in the booth. And I stood there with some, you know, I had a couple hundred flyers. Mm-hmm. It was like, yeah, if you want a truck that looks like this, you know, just give me some money and I'll have it to you next year. No problem. <laughs> and um, boy, people went crazy for it. And there was this crowd of people around our booth and people asking about it. And it's just, it took off like hotcakes. And we got some great media coverage out of that. And we became a lot more of a known name in the car world once we mm-hmm. had participated in SEMA. So you guys recently, well, I, I guess, I don't know if it's more a legacy project or just you specifically, but you started a YouTube channel called This Old Truck. Yeah. Uh, that's can you a, talk a little bit about how that got started and how much benefit absolutely. you've seen? Um, absolutely. Again, it was, it was kind of like that thing where I went to the car show and mm-hmm. I saw, hey, trucks are off in the corner here. I don't like that. I'm going to fix that. Um, this old truck is, it has actually nothing to do with legacy really, other than I guess I'm the connection, Yeah. but, um, <clears throat> when I started legacy, uh, I, I spent a lot of time driving around rural areas looking mm-hmm. for old trucks. Yeah. And you see something cool. You stop on the side of the road, maybe go up to the guy's house, knock on the door, Um, And I started meeting all these really interesting people Mm -hmm. um, that had some crazy stories about stuff they used to do in their trucks. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, one gentleman in particular, I became friends with in Idaho and every year or so I'd stop by his place and see if he wanted to sell one of the old trucks in his backyard, which he would always tell me no, but I kept going. <laughs> and anyhow, I got to know this guy and the mm-hmm. amazing trucks he had, the amazing stories that about him and his parents and his grandparents. And, oh, wow. You know, he had the, the whole history there. And then he up and died. And <laughs> I did not get a chance to record that uh, before he died. Mm-hmm. So rather than hearing him speak in the first person, Uh, Now you'll have to hear the story through me. And what I want to do, a lot of these guys are getting older Mm -hmm. and a lot of the knowledge and a lot of the stories are being lost. Mm -hmm. So, well, this old truck, I want to go out and film important, historic, uh, relevant old trucks. And I want to present that to my viewers. Um, 
ideally every week. I'm trying to get to where we have one every week. It's, as you know, it's tough putting this stuff together, especially, you know, I do have a full-time job. So yeah. <laughs> um, right now it's more like every two weeks, but we're going to be putting out important historic vehicles, um, looking at how they were used, what they were used for pros and cons of each different type. And so that's kind of the practical side of it. But what I'm really trying to do is find the old timers and record them, their trucks and their stories before they're gone, because mm -hmm. when they're gone, they're gone. And so I do see it uh, as important that this is something that's being done now and time really can't be wasted. So I was like, I was almost putting the, the cart before the horse, but I was like, we got to get out here. We got to get out here now and like film these people. And it was almost like, well, what, what are you going to do with the film? <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> I just want to have it. And it's like, well, let's make our YouTube show. Let's get it up. Let's try and get this stuff recorded properly. So that's the main goal there is I just want to create a, a place where people can go and see hundreds of different types of old trucks, all reviewed, laid out for them cool stories, amazing people. And you just start to get a great sense of this truck culture by visiting my, my YouTube channel. So that's where I would, that's where I would like to go. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where I would like to be. It, it, you know, while legacy has been up and running for a long time, this is a, a new venture for me. So, uh, you know, if you listen into one, you, you might be my listener. You might be the number one guy. You might be the only guy. But uh, I think this will start to really take off in the uh, in the months to come. And we are not only filming in Drake's Idaho, but we are starting to look at going to Dallas and doing a shoot there. We've got a couple of shoots coming up in the Midwest. So we are starting to get out and move around more, too. So you won't just see like regional trucks in Idaho, but that we'll be able to go out and, and capture stuff all over the place. Uh, some of the shops that listen to our to this podcast, they've I've heard from uh, a lot of people that they've had interest and in, have already started YouTube channels. Could you talk a little bit about what kind of investment it takes to start that? Whether it's just time or energy, uh, people, equipment. Well, it's a little it's a little bit tougher to answer that question because um, uh, how do I put it? You can say you're opening a restaurant. Mm -hmm. Sometimes restaurants do like soft yeah. openings and sometimes you're like, you're all in, you just do a, a hard opening, like grand <laughs> yeah. opening this weekend. And you're, 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 you're fully going for it. Um, I think the question is, uh, you know, so for myself, I am on a mm -hmm. shoestring budget um, because I don't, I mean, I don't have any, anyone paying for this show. Mm -hmm. this, I'm, I'm paying for this myself. Uh, I, by the way, love the idea of someone coming in and, <laughs> and helping us out a little bit, but, uh, right now I'm, I'm paying for it mm -hmm. all myself. Um, and it is, it is shoestring. Um, I guess what I was getting at is that, uh, there's a guy on YouTube that I watch who's pretty obviously just has his phone on like a tripod yeah. and he's just in his garage, like screwing mm -hmm. around. But the guy legitimately is like an interesting person. Mm -hmm. And I'm just curious what he has to say. So I don't care that it's like the cheesiest, lowest production value <laughs> possible. Um, I think the guy's really entertaining. 
Um, then you've got kind of on the other end of the spectrum, who would I point out? Boy, I don't know. I've seen some episodes of um, Petrolicious. That's on uh, that's on YouTube. Okay. And um, they have some gorgeous videos of amazing old vehicles. Uh, and my, my point is that that, I assume, has a very high production value. That's the opposite end of the mm-hmm. spectrum. So to answer your question, if you're thinking about uh, starting a YouTube channel, I don't think you need to have a huge amount of money to start it. Um, but I do think you want to take a little time and just think about the format or think about like, how is this going to come off to someone that knows nothing about you mm-hmm. that hasn't seen you before? And you've got, what is it? Five seconds to, to draw them in mm-hmm. maybe three seconds to draw them in. You have a very, very short period of time to make that first impression. And if you don't, they're gone. They're watching someone else's. Mm-hmm. So, um, spending more on production value probably increases the chance that someone's going to watch your show mm-hmm. or be like, Oh, wow, these guys must know what they're talking about. I think I'll subscribe. Um, but I think probably the most interesting thing is that, well, you find the interesting mm-hmm. people, right? Like trucks are cool. Trucks are pretty, but what's going to make a show is stories mm-hmm. about people in my mm-hmm. opinion. So if you have a shop and you're considering, say, starting a YouTube channel, well, go for it. Just do it on your phones, Mm -hmm. edit it at home. You don't even have to put it up Mm -hmm. on YouTube. I'm just saying try and make something. Get it edited at home. You've spent zero dollars. Then sit on it for a couple of weeks and then watch it or show it to Mm -hmm. a stranger. Well, that's that's about all the time we have. Uh, Thanks for joining us today, Winslow. It was It was a pleasure having you on. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon, okay? Before we close out another episode of In Gear with the Shop, I just want to again say thank you to Winslow Bent for joining the show. Check out their website at LegacyClassicTrucks.com to learn a little bit more about the shop. And you can watch some of Winslow's videos on his YouTube channel, This Old Truck. Also, thank you again to this month's sponsor, Con Media. You can learn more about Con Media on their website, conmedia.com. That's K-A-H-N media.com. Or you can check them out on any of their social media channels. If you enjoyed this episode, you can listen to the rest of our library on any of your favorite podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Well, that's it for this month. Thanks again for listening. I'm your host, AJ Hecht. Cheers. <laughs>